Hello, everyone, and welcome to the City and Crumpets podcast. I'm your host, Hikmat Jamal, and today's episode will be dedicated to the King Street Transit Pilot, or, now that it's permanent, the King Street Transit Priority Corridor. Today, I am sitting down remotely, that is, with our guest, David Cooperman. David holds a Bachelor's of Science from the University of Toronto, represent, and a Master's in Transportation Technology and Policy from UC Davis. He is currently the Manager of Transportation Planning with the City of Toronto. Today's episode will begin with the history of the King Street Pilot, following the in- followed by the initial reception, some of the results, and finally we'll talk about the future of transit in the city. Hi David, how are you? Hi Hikmat, I'm doing fine, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, especially with uh, the last few weeks of summer, kind of making sure I get the most out of it before school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we'll just start right at the top, you know, with the history of the project. Uh, so when the pilot was first, you know, the idea for it came, was it inspired by a similar project elsewhere? That, that's a good question. So I think that there were uh, a few events that led to eventually a development of the King Street Transit pilot. And uh, so so one of those was TO Core, and that was uh, largely a secondary planning exercise for downtown Toronto and recognizing that a lot of growth was happening, um, still is happening, of course, uh, in the downtown core and uh, that that would require improvements to infrastructure, uh, potentially additional open space for people to use all these new residents moving in. Um, so so that, was, that was a big part of it. And the, the King Street Transit pilot uh, in one way was a spinoff of, of that work. Uh, additionally, I, I would add that as everyone knows, there were challenges with uh, reliability of the streetcar service and uh, a service that was operating fairly close to capacity. And many of the changes that had been implemented um, less visibly than the King Street Transit pilot, but certainly there were operational changes implemented over the first few years prior to the the implementation of the pilot. Uh, Those had had an impact, those had helped with service, um, with moving people along King Street, uh, but it was sort of decided that something more was needed. So uh, some of those earlier changes included um, improvements to transit signal priority, uh, the TTC implemented all-door boarding and proof-of-payment fare collection. Uh, some stops were removed and consolidated. Uh, so all those things had an impact, but uh, I, I think we decided that we, we needed to try something new, a, a bit bigger and, and, and bolder. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of choosing King Street as the location, um, was there any other, um, like, what, what were some of the reasons behind that in terms of, I know it was one of the busier routes, um, but was that primarily like like just for context, how busy was King Street, um, or how I guess uh, how deep were some of the problems that needed to be fixed for something as drastic as a pilot like that? Mm-hmm. So so in one way it was an easy choice because um, it it wasn't just busy; it was the highest ridership surface route in the city. So you know we had uh, at the time about sixty five thousand riders per day uh, on the the five hundred four King route, and uh, so from that perspective. Um, it had more riders than the Line 4 Shepherd subway, uh, for example. Um, it was obvious that many people were already using the service and uh, that there was already very high demand and that if there was uh, one place where we might want to test something out, uh, King Street would be a very good candidate. Uh, additionally, um, it came with other uh, challenges uh, and opportunities. So. 
uh, I would say challenges because King Street has uh, a fairly narrow right of way. There isn't a lot of space to work with. And we knew that uh, we'd have to do something different because we're accommodating large volumes of pedestrians, obviously uh, large volumes of vehicle traffic and a lot of transit riders. Um, but also opportunity because um, King Street is not the only east-west uh, major street that runs through the downtown. Uh, there are uh, other parallel routes, and uh, so this made for good conditions to uh, to do this test, um, to to really understand uh, what the impacts would be of this experiment, and to be able to measure them and to see. Um, how and whether it impacted uh, the overall operations of the street network downtown. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you mentioned transit as one of the bigger reasons in terms of in improving transit. Uh, but were there any other, you know, intended purposes of the project, like, you know, goals that were held uh, and talked about, whether it's, you know, making it more people oriented or reducing environmental reasons, even like that? Were there any other things where they, where they made explicit in the planning of the project? Mm -hmm. So th there was a lot of consultation that happened on this project with various stakeholders and there were public meetings as well. And uh, there was also a project website. So um, I will probably refer to that a few times. It's an excellent source of information. If you just go to www.toronto.ca slash kingstreetpilot, uh, everything is there, including the background reports, including the details on the consultation, and also very importantly, uh, on the objectives of the project and uh, the monitoring and evaluation program, which was a very big part of it as well. Uh, so you know, if you look through those materials, you'll, you'll see that we had uh, several key objectives. And I would say the top three objectives or themes were um, moving people or uh, improving transit, because mm -hmm. we knew that that would be a big part of moving people better. Um, the next one was improving the public realm. And uh, I, I think if you've been out on the street the last few years, you'll see various improvements to the public realm. Uh, so we were able to do that. We knew that uh, with all the pedestrians, there wasn't necessarily an opportunity to just instantly widen the concrete sidewalk. Um, there, yeah. there just isn't enough space to do that uh, with all the, the buildings there, with everything that's going on on the street. Um, but we did look for creative ways to provide more space for pedestrians and to improve the public realm. And uh, additionally, of course, we wanted to ensure that uh, that the pilot uh, still worked for uh, the businesses on King Street um, because there's a lot of commercial activity on this corridor and certainly we wanted to uh, continue to support that in, in whatever we did. Yeah, um, and you mentioned some of the earlier changes in terms of, you know, increasing, right, uh, in terms of, you know, increasing the availability of the transit, uh, the streetcars or, you know, making some of the stops, uh, consolidating some of the stops. Uh, you know, but and for people that haven't gone to King Street um, or checked it out recently, um, I was actually there just yesterday, so definitely saw some of the changes uh, firsthand. Uh, you know, you know, maybe you can walk us through some of the changes that came into effect with the pilot, whether it's with the, uh, you know, just some of the major changes that would be good. Um, and again, I recommend all the listeners to go and see the visuals and see the um, changes in detail. Although maybe just kind of cover that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So. Um, so I'd mentioned some of the things that we did before the pilot, before this even literally became an idea and we decided that we would try out a pilot project on the street. Uh, so what, what the King Street Transit pilot did essentially was uh, prioritize uh, streetcar uh, passengers and streetcar uh, traffic, I guess, uh, through the corridor. So um, we knew 
early on, though we looked at other cities that had tried other transit priority initiatives, and there were some um, some in Melbourne, Australia, and Portland, Oregon, and other places like that, um, so-called transit malls, where uh, either there were sections of street that only allowed uh, transit vehicles and no other vehicles, or they had um, they allowed very limited movement by other vehicles. So they restricted traffic um, either completely or partly in order to give priority to the transit vehicles. And uh, early on, uh, you know, we, we looked at various options and realized that on King Street, at least in the uh, near term or in the foreseeable future, uh, that would not be an option to just close the street off to, uh, to general traffic um, because uh, there are a lot of deliveries that happen on King Street. There are a lot of buildings that only have their access off King Street. And uh, we knew that we would have to continue to allow that, that function. Um, uh, moving traffic through the corridor. Th that said, um, there we settled on a way to um, allow continued general traffic access, but in a local way. So uh, essentially local traffic only and not through traffic, uh, recognizing that there were alternative routes that through traffic could use and that um, likely the streetcars could continue to function and to function well. Um, mixed in with some traffic, but at a, a lower level, lower volume uh, than there had been. So essentially what, what the pilot did was um, it removed uh, left turns and through movements at uh, key intersections throughout the corridor. And, and the corridor that I keep talking about, of course, is the King Street Transit Pilot Corridor that extends from Bathurst Street in the west to Jarvis Street in the east, um, because that's a section where we were really seeing a lot of um, um, a lot of congestion, a lot of delays uh, with various causes uh, for uh, streetcars, for traffic, for everyone using that section of the street. So, so that was one major change. Uh, another thing that the transit pilot did was it repurposed that curb lane uh, for other uses. And those included uh, the streetcar stops themselves. So we created temporary platforms in the, the curb lane. Uh, so that was one use. Also public realm spaces that could be used for, uh, for public art, for seating, or eventually for uh, some of those wonderful patios that you see, the outdoor cafes in front of some of the businesses. Uh, additionally, there was space for loading zones, uh, both passenger and commercial loading zones, uh, space for uh, right turn lanes. So um, space for some of those uh, cars and, and other vehicles to, to wait in to turn right, since many of them would be turning right off the corridor. So uh, essentially, it meant that at most intersections, the majority of traffic uh, would need to uh, would need to exit King Street, would need to turn right. Um, and then also accessible loading zones. So there are a few places, generally one at each block, uh, where vehicles with uh, accessible parking placards could stop for loading uh, passengers. So. Um, so the, for, for wheel trans, for example, accessible taxis and those types of vehicles. And uh, we also had um, added some taxi stands also uh, throughout the corridor in addition to all those other changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in a project, especially something uh, of this magnitude, there's always going to be some sort of resistance or concerns by community members. And in particular, uh, with the King Street, you know, the changes on King Street, uh, one of the opponents, or not opponents, I guess, but people that were concerned were businesses. Right. So, you know, why was that the case? And has that changed um, at, until today after the project has been implemented? 
Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I'd say two things about that. So, so one is that uh, there wasn't a single monolithic response from the business community to this project. There were uh, a variety of opinions and uh, certainly there were some that were in favor from the start and saw the opportunities uh, for creating uh, maybe a more uh, pedestrian friendly streetscape, um, opportunities for beautification, for uh, more of their commercial activity um, on the street, more pedestrian oriented. Uh, there were others who had uh, concerns about how they would get deliveries, uh, which they rely on uh, from the, the front of their businesses from King Street, uh, who didn't necessarily have the benefit of rear laneways or other access points. Um, th there were some that were concerned about the loss of parking because as part of the pilot, uh, parking street parking was removed uh, from this section of King Street. Uh, there were parking spaces added elsewhere uh, in the area, uh, but they were removed from King Street. So uh, a variety of opinions. Uh, and we essentially, uh, I guess the other major point I would make is that um, it, it was a continuous process. It wasn't just uh, before and after then and now. It uh, was something that we had to work on leading up to the implementation of the pilot. So, you know, spring of 2017, summer of 2017, uh, before the launch of the pilot, that was a, a very busy time, obviously, for the design and implementation and consultation. Uh, but we also had a lot of ongoing conversations about what were the needs of all the different users of the street, including the businesses. You know, that's where we came up with uh, providing the accessible loading zones, providing the other loading zones in general so that businesses could get their deliveries and, and passenger loading was allowed as well, um, especially in front of the theaters. So we had all kinds of conversations about those specific needs and how they could be accommodated uh, within the new King Street. And it was always clear uh, in the report to council and I, I think in the minds of staff working on the project, I mean, I. I, I led the design and implementation of the pilot, but certainly there was a very large team. I was working with a lot of people uh, to do all of this work. Um, and uh, it was, as I said, it was, it was a continuous process and a lot of discussions. And it was understood that the design would, uh, would evolve and would respond uh, to needs and changes throughout the pilot. So I think that was clear in the report to council that we would monitor uh, and that we would refine the design and make changes as necessary. So, so everything that was implemented on day one uh, of the pilot didn't necessarily stay that way for the year and a bit that it went on. Uh, there, there were changes. We had ongoing discussions with the business owners. Uh, we launched all kinds of uh, programs. Uh, as, as you saw, uh, public art started showing up on the corridor and uh, many of those spaces in front of businesses eventually uh, became outdoor cafes. They, they became the, the patios and, and in some cases, uh, second patios for those businesses. So some of them actually had um, had the outdoor cafes already the sidewalk cafes and um, some of them even had an opportunity to have a second outdoor cafe within the curb lane space so uh, i i wouldn't say it it all happened very suddenly i would say that there were ongoing uh, tweaks and consultations and discussions that happened um, and, and and changes that happened to the design like adding a loading zone um, here, taking it away there, converting it to a public realm space, creating that opportunity for an outdoor cafe. All those things happened over time. And, and I'm happy, I was happy to see that there was a lot of interest um, in, it took a while, uh, but but eventually there was a lot of interest in, in those outdoor cafes and those other uses of the curb lane. And 
of course, there were other changes that happened throughout the pilot too that were less visible, uh, like changes to signal timing. We were watching to see whether you know traffic was was bunching up at certain intersections and whether there was something we could do there. And um, so there were all kinds of other changes that happened. But some of the most visible ones were were in that curb lane space on the street and on the sidewalk. Yeah, and you referred to how this process isn't uh, you know then and now and it's continuous work uh, with changes all the time. Uh, and, you know, from one of the things I noticed is data was a big part of it. So what were some of the data? Uh, what was some of the data that was being collected continuously? Um, and I know just because of how extensive the data was, you know, I'm sure it's very broad. Uh, but maybe you can kind of cover what was being collected. What were you looking for? What was the team looking for? And how that was influencing the, the decisions that were later on being made? Mm -hmm. So, no, that's a very good point. So the evaluation monitoring program was a very big component of this pilot. So uh, so we, we knew that we would need to report back uh, on the performance, on the success of the pilot. And uh, very importantly, there was a, a report also that went to the October 2017 TTC board meeting. And that outlined uh, it responded to council direction asking for some of these measures of success and that outlined what we would be measuring um, of course it primarily focused on uh, transit measures and transit performance measures so we wanted to see uh, transit first that uh, that ridership was increasing or and or uh, travel times improving uh, and or reliability of the service uh, mm -hmm. was improving and i think that we we saw in the end, positive um, improvements on all of those counts. We also wanted to understand that the there were actual measurable improvements to the public realm, uh, that people were enjoying the new streetscape and, and using those spaces effectively. So there were um, surveys also uh, that were conducted and we did a lot of those in partnership with academic institutions and, and other groups. And we also uh, wanted to see the environmental uh, impact, so noise and air quality, that also uh, is described in the final report uh, to Council. And so we also partnered with, uh, with uh, U of T and Ryerson on, on those studies. And uh, we also uh, purchased point of sale data to understand uh, what was happening with economic activity in the corridor. And uh, we, we saw seasonal trends. We saw changes over time um, in in sales and economic activity. Uh, it differed by size of business, by sector, and so forth. Um, but I think that in the end, what we found was uh, we found a tremendous increase in daily ridership. Uh, so um, it went from 65,000 um, in 2016 to uh, 72,000 daily riders at the start of the pilot to 84,000 well, yeah. by the end of the pilot. So um, throughout the course of the pilot, basically we gained 12,000 daily riders uh, on that route. So that that was a tremendous change. Uh, we also saw improvements to average travel times, uh, particularly uh, westbound in the afternoon, which was one of the more congested periods before. And uh, we also saw uh, pretty significant improvement in reliability. So it's uh, it's complicated to explain. Uh, you know, it's worth looking at the, the project website to, to really see the details. But um, we did see an improvement in vehicle spacing for streetcars. 
to put it simply. Um, so they weren't uh, bunched and gapped as mm -hmm. much as before. And uh, we also saw that the longest travel times uh, also significantly improved. So whereas before, um, for let's say a roughly 15 minute travel time under ideal conditions from end to end, um, we were seeing a lot of trips before the pilot in the 25, 30, 35 minute range. Um, a lot of that noise disappeared uh, throughout the pilot. So of course there was still some variability in travel times, but, uh, but much less. And so there was a much more consistent pattern of uh, travel times between 15 and 20 minutes throughout the corridor. So, so more reliable travel uh, for, for streetcar riders, for, for the streetcars themselves. And um, as, as we put all of that together and reported out most, most figures on a monthly basis, so those were made public on the project website, um, we saw a lot of those uh, positive signs. Like I said, we did make some changes uh, throughout the pilot. So, you know, certainly we would look at uh, traffic queues coming up uh, here and there at one intersection or another, and we saw if there were operational tweaks we could make uh, to mitigate those. So, so we did some of that uh, redesign as well. But, uh, but importantly, we wanted to see the overall picture on all of these different measures. We wanted to see that we were making progress uh, on on all the objectives, and I think that uh, I think that we were able to to demonstrate that uh, mm -hmm. in the end in that in that final report to council. Yeah, um, and one of the worries, actually, um, especially I remember when the project was kind of still in the pilot phase. One of the worries was you know increasing the uh, travel times on other east-west uh, routes. Um, and I know the data was collected on some of those routes to see if the, the King Street pilot was impl uh, impacting them. Um, and was this the case or, you know, was it minuscule, the changes in other routes? So, so thank you for that reminder, actually. What I forgot to mention was that as part of our data collection efforts, we looked at uh, multimodal uh, volumes. So uh, not just traffic counts uh, of vehicles, but also uh, pedestrian and cyclist counts, and uh, and then also travel times uh, for general traffic. And what we found was um, that you know there there were some fairly minor changes in travel times, and we're looking at the entire downtown network. So not just King Street, uh, but a much larger area, right, including those sort of network of five parallel east-west alternative uh, routes, and. Uh, so we found that you know, there were changes, some of which were seasonal, some of which were related to construction, some of which were related to undoubtedly changing travel patterns and some traffic moving off King Street um, onto other routes. Uh, but we found overall that those uh, changes turned out to be fairly insignificant. Uh, when, when you look at how they, um, how they compare to uh, sort of the, the normal variability in traffic that you see day to day, um, those changes ended up not being terribly significant. So, so we were able to, uh, to slightly redistribute traffic um, without a major impact on, on the overall network. Um, and, and another thing that happened is that um, there was actually a decrease in the number of vehicles overall downtown and an increase in transit ridership. So some people actually, uh, what we saw was some people actually did change modes um, and they switched uh, from driving to taking transit um, or cycling, which I think we'll get into in a few minutes. Yeah. So you mentioned how the one of the changes is, you know, people did change some of the modes of transport as well. Uh, so maybe on that note, in terms of uh, the data wasn't, I know, just for cars or streetcars, but also pedestrians and cycling. Uh, can mm -hmm. you speak to some of those other uh, modes of transportation, how that was impacted? 
Yeah, so what we saw was pretty steady uh, pedestrian volumes. I, I wouldn't say there was a significant change there, um, although of course, maybe that's changed um, since the pilot ended. What we found was for cycling, there was actually a very big increase in the number of cyclists using King Street. So uh, even though the redesign didn't include dedicated bike lanes, uh, it did change the conditions for cyclists slightly. So uh, there was space built in uh, to the overall street design for cyclists to use between uh, the moving streetcars and the repurposed curb lane uses. So we did see a pretty significant increase in cycling volumes. Um, I don't quote me on this because I'm just going to refer to the project yeah. website and all of the evaluation and monitoring results. But I, I think at some points we saw like an eightfold or eight times wow. increase in cyclist volume. So it was pretty significant. Uh, certainly some of them were coming from uh, other routes, but uh, there were also definitely new cyclists because there was also pretty steady uh, cycling activity on the other corridors, including the Richmond Adelaide cycle track. Yeah, that's super interesting because, and I'm glad you mentioned cycling because as someone who cycles often, not having to drive beside cars without a protected bike lane, for example, like that can be a big deterrent to cycling, right? So I imagine a lot of people did take up cycling um, and even did it more, more often. And I'm glad you mentioned the business aspect of it as well, because I saw that the Ontario Hotel and um, Motel and Restaurant Association, um, I believe they're called, they reported a 41% decrease in revenue comparing December 2016 to December 2017, right? So before the pilot and after the pilot. And, you know, that when I first saw that, the first thought to my mind is because as someone who's grown up in Toronto, uh, Toronto has very bipolar winters, right? So I did some digging. Um, and then 2016, for example, uh, the year without the pilot, we had eight days with the temperature uh, in December being below negative five degrees Celsius. And in 2017, that was um, 16 days, right? So twice as many uh, days with the you know temperature below negative five degrees Celsius. And even the average temperature for the month is uh, almost double minus, I think, negative two and a half degrees for uh, 2016 and then negative five degrees uh, or negative four and a half degrees for 2017, right? So again, that plays a big role um, in it as well, definitely. But anyways, the point I'm really trying to get at is um, businesses are definitely a big part of the conversation when it comes to a project. Um, like King Street with a lot of businesses on the street. Um, and, you know, the data of the POS that you guys were collecting um, in the team. I was wondering if that consultation is ongoing with businesses today, even now, or um, if you have personally noticed a shift in the in the approach businesses, businesses have had towards the project. Has there been kind of this wholesale shift towards a much more welcoming approach to the project than it was in the beginning? Yeah, so I guess uh, there, there are a few things I would say to that. So one is that was definitely a cold winter <laughs> um, and that, that came with its own challenges. And so that, that's part of the problem with looking at uh, just a week's worth or a month's worth of data or just month to month. Uh, the weather can change, all kinds of economic conditions can change in that time outside of the pilot. So we were careful to use uh, to, to look at the figures both for the pilot area and a control area. And you know certainly there are all kinds of factors like the cold weather could have kept people at home. Um, the cold weather uh, could have impacted uh, business in other ways. Certainly there was the activity of the theaters at the time and that has a direct influence on uh, the restaurants and other businesses in the area. So 
Um, there were a lot of things going on, so we had to look at a period sort of of several years and uh, taking out seasonal variations and so forth. Um, definitely, we still saw uh, changes, uh, a few small uh, ups and downs, uh, depending on sector and size of business and so forth. Um, but I think that what we found uh, overall was that 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 consultation, that ongoing consultation was very helpful. We were trying to achieve um, a good fit uh, between the new King Street and all of the various uses. So the transit passengers, the pedestrians, and the businesses that operate on the corridor. And so I think that we were able to, to achieve that good fit through those continued discussions. And you know, in, in some cases we had to um, provide additional parking, street parking in the area. Um, not on King Street, but we added some spaces over time uh, to other streets nearby. Uh, in some cases, we had to add or increase the size of a loading zone or change its use from um, passenger to commercial or, mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, and then, of course, as I mentioned, there were the public realm spaces and the outdoor cafes. And over time, there was a pretty significant uptake of those, which also had a very positive impact, uh, I think, on businesses there. So. There were these various changes. There was ongoing dialogue, um, and and really, I would say, at the end of the day, uh, we were trying to provide that fit and make it an effective um, and successful street uh, for all the different users. And I I think that we were were able to achieve that. Of course, uh, of course, some businesses also adapted um, how they were operating mm -hmm. uh, to to fit, to take advantage of the new King Street design. And I think that was quite successful in the end. Uh, so, you know, as I mentioned, there was a pretty big uptake uh, eventually of the outdoor cafes. And I think that that worked very well for some of the businesses. But of course, every business operates slightly differently. Uh, and so we were, we were careful in our consultation to ensure that we were having uh, conversations with those various types of businesses and with the different businesses across the corridor. Um, I'm, I'm not directly involved in it anymore uh, in my mm -hmm. current role, but, um, but I know that there is some degree of ongoing consultation as the pilot corridor becomes a permanent uh, transit priority corridor. So there will be uh, continuing changes in the design and the materials used and so forth. Uh, and those involve ongoing discussions with the various stakeholders, including the businesses. Yeah. And, and I mean, one of the common themes that I even noticed in pretty much any project um, like this is for it to be successful, which, you know, by all means, the King Street um, project was successful. Um, it doesn't only require a top down kind of, you know, policy changes and boom, 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 that's it. Um, often, like you mentioned, the businesses are adapting and changing how they're conducting business to some extent, whether it's, you know, increasing uh, the emphasis on outdoor, um, outdoor um, dining and that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's really interesting, I think, to see even just for a planning perspective, how that successful policy often works, you know, in that both the tango between you know, top-down and bottom-up kind of things as well. Um, yeah, but moving on with the improved uh, transit times on the 504 um, being one of the main focuses for the project, um, are there lessons in your mind that we can take from King Street uh, towards improving transit elsewhere in the city? Mm -hmm. I, I definitely think there are. I, I wouldn't say necessarily that it's a, a copy-and-paste approach. I'm not suggesting that. I, I guess what I would say is that we learned two things uh, from the King Street Transit pilot. One of them was uh, a pilot approach can be a successful approach. And by that, I mean, 
Uh, there had been various proposals over the years, all sorts of things that we could have done to King Street and some things that um, uh, there were some changes such as the the rush hour transit lanes that were not very successful ultimately um, there were the various operational changes I talked about uh, and there were some proposals that never saw the light of day for whatever reason uh, so th the thing that we did differently this time is um, you know certainly this was an effort a coordinated effort of both the city planning and transportation services divisions of the city and the TTC and it was a very uh, collaborative approach uh, that involved um, doing some planning, trying something out that based on our observations we thought would, uh, would assist, would reduce delays and improve performance uh, of the transit system and, and the people moving capacity of the corridor. Um, and, and, and trying it out and refining it and collecting data and then deciding in the end whether it was successful or required further changes, um, that was a pretty comprehensive and a new approach to take. And so I think that that's something that we could do elsewhere, um, certainly in places where the exact solution may not be obvious right now, but we have an idea of how we might make improvements and it's worth trying out on a temporary basis and monitoring and, and then deciding whether to keep or not. That That's definitely something that we could do. And, and I guess the other lesson is that um, every street and every context is different. And I guess one of the things that this showed was that there are options and mm -hmm. they might not be immediately apparent. Um, we, we, it doesn't necessarily mean doing things the way we've always done them before, or even the way that other places are doing them. Uh, th this particular solution was a made in Toronto solution. So I think it, it just means that uh, we really need to identify what are our objectives uh, for the street, the corridor, the area. What, uh, what are we trying to do? How do we make it more effective? And what are those measures of success? And then, um, and then considering various options, things we've never done before, and and then and then measuring and observing and seeing how well those work. Yeah, for sure. Um, and even on that topic, I guess, of kind of being flexible and looking at each street holistically uh, based on what would work there um, in each part of the city, um, one of the things, I guess, maybe uh, that could be a bit more general, um, and I want to get your opinion on this, is, you know, because often there is this public kind of you know, the effect the word subway has on people, you know, it just a subway is seen as, you know, the one bullet stop, you know, that will fix everything uh, in a particular part of the city, for example. Um, in your mind, is King Street an example where without digging, you know, multi-billion dollar tunnels, you can improve uh, transit significantly, even by just using existing infrastructure? Like you already have the road, you have the streetcars already, you know, it's a couple of changes and you've increased ridership 12,000, for example. Um, is that something that um, is a lesson from King Street as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very important point as well, and something that was definitely considered in conceiving uh, the pilot project. Uh, so at the time uh, that consultation was happening on this pilot, uh, the relief line study was underway. And uh, even then, uh, we knew that even if a new subway through the downtown were to get approved, that would take probably 10 years, right, to yeah. go through approvals, design, construction, etc. And uh, we knew that there were, there were problems at the time, there were there were issues uh, with the reliability of transit with how well King Street was functioning for everyone, uh, that 
probably couldn't wait those 10 years or more. Mm-hmm. And so, so yes, this was an attempt to, um, to do what we could with the space we had, with the resources we had uh, to improve conditions as much as possible, um, even ahead of any major infrastructure project. Um, of course, it's not a replacement. Um, the, the King Street corridor as it operates today is not a subway. It's not the same thing. Um, that said, even with a subway, there are different users that are served by the King Street yeah. uh, streetcar. Um, and there are local trips that wouldn't be well served by a future subway. And the relief line is now the Ontario line. And that has a slightly different different operating characteristics and a different alignment. So uh, I think that it's they're, they're connected. Um, we definitely saw a need for, for more capacity and improvements in the downtown uh, ahead of major infrastructure projects like a new subway. Um, but it is also sort of a separate issue as well. Uh, there are different trips that need to be accommodated on uh, on the streetcar or on King Street locally and uh, changes to the streetscape that are also somewhat independent of those um, longer term, bigger uh, infrastructure projects. That said, it, for sure, there's a, there's a place for both and a need for both types of approaches and both types of projects. Um, certainly a new subway line can have a capacity of 30,000 passengers per hour, and that's mm-hmm. not something that you can replicate um, on street on the streetcar. But uh, that said, we, we did increase the, the capacity, hourly capacity of the King streetcar from, uh, you know, from roughly 2,000 to 3,000 passengers per hour per direction. So there, there was a pretty significant gain there. Yeah. Um, and then even, uh, you, you also mentioned how, you know, different types of design serves different type of people, you know, a streetcar will serve for example, more local populations, um, and even just uh, just a whole different demographic going in versus the subway line. Um, and then, you know, just recently in Toronto, I was, um, I think I'm near Kensington, I just walked by a poster on a on a light, pole, uh, light post, which said, you know, streets for people, uh, take back our streets kind of thing. Uh, so maybe just, um, are there in, I know you the data is pretty uh, broad, it does try to, you know, quantify, you know, things like people using the patios and you know pedestrian usage and that kind of stuff uh but there are i'm sure some intangibles um that you know obviously that data can't always capture uh but in your mind is this street uh is the king street project um is this you know what are your thoughts on streets for people and kind of reclaiming this idea of reclaiming streets from the automobile that some people um always talk about mm-hmm. so so i think it's a very appealing idea but i don't um I guess I don't want to generalize too much. I mean, I guess what I what I'd like to say is that uh, context matters. Uh, that really you need to have a discussion uh, with everyone involved, with with residents, with businesses, uh, with all kinds of stakeholders about um, really what needs uh, a street or a public space are fulfilling, and then decide on what the best way is to address any gaps there. Uh, so I don't think it would be the same approach everywhere. Uh, streets in particular, uh, I guess, in the in the urban planning world and in the transportation field in general, we talk about as serving um, many different needs, but those might fall into two groups. So one might be mobility or movement, mm-hmm. and the other uh, is, we like to call it placemaking. Um, there are various other terms related to that. But Typically, it's recognized that uh, streets serve both functions to a different extent. And it's also recognized that uh, one may be more important on some streets than the other. 
Uh, and so there are, are places definitely that um, we primarily want to be uh, open spaces um, where we talk about placemaking and things like public art and things like uh, pedestrian priority and spaces for people to linger and uh, all kinds of things like that we talk about in the public realm. Um, and then we also talk about just movement and mobility and getting from A to B. And uh, it's not uh, that only one uh, is important or that one is better than the other. Um, definitely, we have a need for both of those. So we have to work to find a balance uh, between those. Sometimes they work wonderfully together. Sometimes occasionally they come into conflict with each other, but we have to have a discussion about sort of what are our needs and values? What are we trying to achieve? Um, I think that a good balance was struck on King Street in the sense that uh, we actually did see gains in mobility. Um, in in that movement on the street and we found at the end that despite slightly fewer vehicles in the downtown and uh, higher ridership on the streetcar and more cyclists the the net effect was actually that we were moving more people um, each day through the downtown so that's an interesting thing to think about because we're actually we implemented some traffic restrictions right yeah. and despite implementing traffic restrictions selectively at some intersections the overall result was that more people were actually moving through toronto's downtown uh so so that was an interesting observation and achievement and at the same time uh there were improvements to the public realm. There was more space for pedestrians because with the streetcar stops bumped out into the curb lane, that provided more space on the sidewalk for people to walk through. Uh, there were additional seating areas and all kinds of uh, public spaces that opened up as well. So um, certainly I think we saw improvements on on both fronts there, but um, I, I guess I would just want to emphasize that point that you know every street and every context is different. We really have to have that conversation about what are our values and needs and uh, and how best to serve them in each of those contexts. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I was just going to mention that as well with you know King Street it just seems like that perfect balance because you did improve mobility and then also the street itself, the placemaking on the street. Uh, just from like it takes literally five minutes to go and see the differences. If you've been there in like 2016, 2015, you'll notice the differences. Um, and I would definitely encourage everyone to go, you know, if you're in downtown, you know, give it a give it a shot, check it out. Um, and I can see how it would be tempting to kind of want wholesale applications in other streets. You know, I've heard people say Queen Street and here and there where, you know, they just want a copy and paste kind of thing, um, which has their own challenges, I guess. Um, and then maybe just to end off, you know, with the project now being permanent, um, what else, I guess, in the concept of King Street? I know it isn't still uh, perfect in any, like, you know, there's always efforts to improve things. Um, and I know you, you mentioned you're not involved with King Street in particular anymore. Um, but what else do you think when you were involved, I guess, what else can be done to transform King Street or I guess to keep improving some of the things uh, that were the goals? Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I mentioned that as this moves to becoming a, a permanent design of King Street, uh, there will be various changes and ongoing discussion uh, with the various users of the street. So uh, what that means is that, um, you know, we, we put up an awful lot of signs traffic signs during the pilot right and uh you know for, for better or worse that's what was needed at the time to make clear the new uh the new way of getting around uh king street um certainly uh the permanent design um we'll be taking another look at that uh whether there are opportunities um to sort of maybe 
clean up uh, the signs or make changes to the signals or something else that's uh, just makes clear uh, to users of the street how it's meant to work. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's one thing that can happen. Uh, materials as well uh, will change over time uh, to become more permanent. Remember that all the materials used for the King Street pilot were uh, temporary and low cost materials. So they were something that we could put in and take out easily and quickly as necessary. Um, so there will be a sort of over time, a, a change to more permanent materials and, and sort of higher quality materials and design um, with available resources. Um, so, so that will happen. Uh, additionally, you, you know, I, I don't know. Predicting the future is very hard. Um, you know, predicting the the situation we're in right now with the COVID nineteen pandemic yeah. is would have been impossible, would have been very difficult, right, to understand where we would be today. So all kinds of things can happen, and, and conditions can change, and the economy can change. Um, so. So I don't know what that means for King Street. I don't want to make any any uh, specific predictions yeah, sure. on that. Um, I, I would just say that you know we'll continue to think about um, how to make it uh, a more permanent and maybe higher quality design with available resources. And uh, we'll just have to continue to respond to the conditions there because um, of course there's still a lot of growth and development and there are new residents and new businesses. And as those needs emerge, um, as those conditions change, um, they'll require just some degree of ongoing consultation. I think we'll end it off on that note. Um, thank you so much, David, for joining us. This was a really fun episode. And I would recommend everyone to go to www.toronto.ca slash kingstreetpilot um, to find the overview, graphs, charts, and a whole lot of information we just couldn't cover in this brief podcast. Heck, if uh, you find yourself downtown, go for a walk down King Street and see some of the changes for yourself. Uh, you know, check out some of the patios, the businesses, and enjoy the public space that's there. That's all from me this time. Remember to check us out on Twitter at uh, City and Crumpets. And also check out our podcast website, www.citycrumpets.pinecast.co. Remember to subscribe, share, and most importantly, go out and see the city. Till next time. Bye.